0: Well, thank you so much, praise team, for leading us today to the Lord. And uh, Bill and John, thank you for reading Scripture for us as well. You both are extremely gifted readers, and we appreciate that ministry to our hearts as well this morning. Uh, I want to begin with this statement this morning, which I, I believe is true. You cannot label someone a failure until you see how they respond to adversity. You know, as I thought about this, it's been five years since Ellen's middle brother, David, died of kidney disease. It's hard to believe it's been five years. Had he lived, he would have been 55 years this year. And over the eight years that he had that disease, we watched as the life was just sucked right out of him Until he ultimately became almost a completely helpless invalid. He had very little quality of life for those eight years. Do you know, some of his best friends could not handle the trial that he was going through? They completely abandoned him because he was no longer the outgoing, active David that they knew. But the qualities that came out of him during those eight years taught us as a family how to suffer. After the funeral was over, one of his uncles came to me and said, there was a whole lot more to David than most of us realized. And we saw that during this great trial of his life. You see, it is not until adversity comes that we truly understand the true measure of a person. Do you know, I believe the reverse of this statement is also true. You cannot label somebody a success until you see how they respond to adversity. Uh, Many of us, quite frankly, who are here today, we were born with a silver spoon in our mouths, weren't we? I mean, most of our lives, things have gone our way. We have known nothing but success, and everyone would look at us and say, there is a successful person. But you know, it is not until we have suffered and we have been deprived that people really know us. There was a playwright and a poet in England, his name was Sir William Davenant, and this is what he said. Calamity is the perfect glass wherein we truly see and know ourselves. And that is so true. Calamity is the perfect glass, the perfect mirror wherein we truly see and know ourselves. Do you know one of the greatest tragedies in the Christian life is to fail to learn from our trials? But one of the greatest blessings in the Christian life is to turn our problems into steps to maturity. What is the incentive for us to do that? My dear brother-in-law, whom we still miss very, very much, accepted his trials without complaint. It was amazing for us to watch. Well, how is it that we can do that? Well, if there is one verse in all the Bible that gives us the answer to that question, it is James 1.12. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn there with me this morning. We've been looking together at this first chapter in James. And now as we come to James 1.12, we are really seeing here what James teaches us about the reward for trials. And I want you to notice what he says. Let me read this verse for you, James 1.12, and listen to what he teaches us. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised To those who love him. Now what this verse is, it is a summary verse in James. It sort of rounds off the teaching on trials in this section. It is sort of like a little nutshell summary that gives to us the godly person's perspective and response to adversity. Now let me remind you where we have been. In the opening verses, we have learned how to have joy in trials. Then we saw next how we can obtain wisdom from God to learn from our trials and to get His help. Last week, we saw how our lives are to experience greater trust and how we can do that in the midst of our trials. And now this morning, we look at this whole issue of how there is a reward for our trials. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow in prayer and ask the Lord to be our teacher. Lord God, we have already sung to You that the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. And what we mean by that is that we are open and responsive to His teaching his leadership, and his perfect will. And we desire not only to know his truth as it's been given in the word of God, but we also long to have hearts that respond and wills that obey. And nothing is more difficult than understanding the ways of a sovereign God who has all power in the trials that we face. There are many, many in this very room today. Many unanswered questions. Help us to know that nothing we endure for the sake of our dear Savior will ever go unrewarded. We love you for that, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, as we look at this summary verse, we discover, first of all, that the reward of trials is being tested. It is being tested. James talks here about the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trial. I want you to notice how he begins. He begins, blessed. Do you know this is a beatitude? Whenever you find blessed in our Bibles, it's a beatitude like Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, beatitudes are expressions of praise or congratulations. Congratulations. A uh, Blessed here means to regard someone as fortunate or in favorable circumstances. So that we could actually read this verse, Congratulations to the one who remains steadfast under trial. Do you know in the Greek world, whenever a beatitude was expressed, it was always positive, was never negative. So that for the Greeks, blessedness equaled these types of things, material goods, maybe finding a marriage partner, having children, getting riches, fame, or wisdom. But here you have a very surprising twist. The congratulations have to do with trials, something that we consider to be very, very negative. Do you know this is the way that Beatitudes in the Bible often are? They take the world's values and they turn those values upside down. It's as though the author of Scripture is saying to us, everything that you think you know is wrong. That God's values, His kingdom values are different. God operates in a way that is totally different from what the world thinks is fortunate. God says this, believers who have lost, who have suffered, who have gone through trials, they are the ones who are the fortunate ones. Uh, Many, many years ago, there was a, uh, a translation of the New Testament that was uh, an attempt to put the New Testament into modern English. It was translated by the name of a man, his last name was Waymouth, and it was known, you can still read it, Waymouth's New Testament. And in that New Testament, there is a little note at this point, and this is what that note says. People who are blessed may outwardly meet, be much to be pitied, But from the higher and therefore truer standpoint, they are to be envied, congratulated, and imitated. That is God's view of our trials. Now notice here, the very first reason we are blessed is because we are being tested. The word for trial that occurs here, and we saw it earlier in verses two through four, means to try to learn the character of someone by submitting them to thorough and extensive testing. The word means to try to find out what is in a person's heart based upon the tests that they go through. Do you know? There's really no other way to know what is in our hearts, to know the reality of our faith, rather than when we go through testing. And by the way, you can see that here in two very critical words. This word trial also means the idea of pressure, and the phrase stood the test means to be approved. So the concept of standing the test means to be approved as genuine on the basis of testing, and that is one of the critical ways that we know the reality of our faith. There are two statements over the years that mean a great deal to me when I think about trials. Let me share them with you. I'm sure that you've heard them before. But I think they are exactly what the Bible is teaching us. Here's the first one. This was said by radio Bible teacher Chip Ingram. Christians are like tea bags. You don't really know what they are like until you put them in hot water. That's true, isn't it? Here's the next one. Adrian Rogers said A faith that hasn't been tested can't be what? Trusted. Are you a real Christian? Am I? Do we really love the Lord? Does the Lord mean more to us than worldly success? What happens when we are tested and put in hot water? That is always the true test of our relationship with the Lord. And James says trials test us. Now let's look at a second reward. As we see this verse, James tells us that the reward of trials is also being toughened through life. It is being toughened through life. He says, blessed is this person who remains steadfast under trials. Now that little phrase, steadfast, is a very wonderful word in the Greek New Testament. It is made up of two words, to stay or to remain, plus the word under. It is the very word that we get the word abide from. And you know what abide means. If my relatives say to me, uh, we're coming to your home to visit, I say, fine. If they say, we're coming to your home to abide, my answer is, what? What? You see, abide means to stay put, to stay permanently. So that James is saying, when the trials of life come to us, blessed is the person who abides under them, who stays there permanently until God has taught the lesson rather than escaping the trial. One Bible teacher by the name of James Ropes describes this as staying power. Blessed is the believer who has staying power. Listen to how a couple of students of the New Testament describe what this is referring to. D. Edmund Hebert says it's not a passive attitude of quiet submission or resignation or resignation. Okay, Lord, if this is what I have to accept, I guess I will. No, it's not that at all. Rather, says Hebert, it is a brave manliness which confronts the difficulties and contends against them. Joseph Thayer, who was a a Greek scholar, said this. It is the characteristic of a believer who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Do you know in Joshua chapter 1, as Joshua got ready to take over for Moses, this is exactly what God said Joshua needed? Three times in Joshua 1, God said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do you know these two words that are used here, remain steadfast and stood the test, are also found in Romans 5 verses 3 and 4, where there they are translated endurance and character. Turn back with me for just a moment to Romans chapter 5, and I want you to notice how these very same words are used by the Apostle Paul to help us to understand what God is trying to accomplish. Look at verse 3 of Romans 5. Not only that, he says... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, that's remaining steadfast, and endurance produces character, the same word for standing the test, and character produces hope. And what is interesting is character in this passage was used of a metal alloy, that was placed under the pressure of a furnace to release it from all of the alloys in the precious metal. So that Paul is describing here the weaknesses of our character that are eradicated by the pressure of trials so that the believer then emerges out of those trials as strong and as pure like a metal that has been purged of its alloys in the pressure of the furnace. Please get this. Trials strengthen us and they purify us. And those two virtues, strength and purity, make us what we are. They make us what we are. And James is saying there's no other way. There's no other way to become strong and pure except by being toughened in the trials of life. Many of us know this woman that I'm putting on the screen this morning. Her name is Kay Arthur. Kay Arthur has been the head of Precepts Ministries International that has taught multitudes and multitudes of people how to study the Bible. When you view a person like this, you think she's talented, she's gifted, She has incredible insight. God has given her a great ministry. And you think she just had unremitting success throughout her life. But that's not true. In fact, early in her ministry, she and her family were missionaries in Mexico. While they were there, she contracted a heart infection. And because of that heart infection, they had to leave the mission field. One of the biggest difficulties and disappointments for any missionary is when you go to the field anticipating this wonderful ministry and then God allows your health to be dissipated and you have to leave the mission field. You know what Kay Arthur said? She said, I felt like a failure. And this is what she wrote. Depression set in until I cried, Father, whatever you want. It would be several years before I'd see how he'd use those formative years of study in Mexico to prepare me to write inductive Bible studies that would eventually reach 52 countries. She wrote this My disappointments aren't over. Pain and trials are almost constant companions, but they are never enemies. They drive me into his sovereign arms. There he takes my disappointments and works everything together for good. And you know what she says her disappointments are? They are God's appointments. My disappointments, she says, Are his appointments. And now we know. Where did she get the strength. The resiliency. The courage and the focus. To write bible studies that have now reached 52 countries. It came. In the crucible of suffering. Let's continue. Thirdly. James says the reward of trials is being triumphant after life. Being triumphant after life. He says the person who has been tested and who has been toughened will receive the crown of life. Now what is the crown of life? Well, the construction here means the crown which consists of life. What he is describing here is the full endowment of eternal life in heaven. And what he's talking about is available to every single Christian. Every Christian can experience the full endowment of eternal life in heaven after we have been tried in this life. What is interesting is as you look through the Bible, you discover that crowns picture four great experiences in heaven. What these experiences describe are the rewards of eternal life in heaven for every believer, no matter the trials that we have suffered in this life. Uh, Let me just take you to a few passages of Scripture where we see an illustration of how a crown was used in the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19 and notice that the crown was a sign of joy. The crown was a sign of joy. Notice 1 Thessalonians 2 and look with me at verse 19 and look what he says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing before our Lord Jesus At His coming. Is it not you, says Paul? For you are our glory and our joy. In the first century, they would wear a crown of flowers at a wedding or a feast. And it was symbolic of times of joy. The Olympics are coming up one of the things that will happen is after every event, the medalists will walk up on the stage. And the medals will be placed over their heads. And, and they will smile with great joy because they have reached the pinnacle of their event. That's what heaven will be like. It will be a place of great joy because we have reached the pinnacle, the outcome, of the sufferings of this life. Turn over with me, if you would, to Revelation 14 and 14 and notice that the crown was also a symbol of royalty. It was a symbol of royalty. Look at Jesus who appears and He has this crown on His head and look what it says. Then I looked and behold a white cloud And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, that's Jesus. And he had a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Crowns were worn by kings and those in authority. And the Bible says, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we're going to rule and reign with him. Jesus said that he will give his servants authority over cities as we demonstrate His authority in His coming kingdom. Notice also back in Revelation 6 and verse 2, that the crown was a sign of victory. Look at Revelation 6 and verse 2, and notice what it says. Here are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and we know who that white horse is, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, And he came out conquering and to conquer. Do you know in the Olympic Games, the winner was given a a crown of laurel leaves. And it demonstrated his victory. And in the same way the Bible teaches us, in the conquering power of Jesus, we can meet life's battles. Look at one more. The crown was a sign of honor. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 2 and I want you to notice how the crown is used here in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 and notice what it says here. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And now notice. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every man. Do you know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5? Every man, every woman, every believer will have praise from God. You say to me, Pastor Brian, I may not get as many rewards as somebody else, but will I get some rewards? And the Bible says a resounding yes Every believer will have some praise from the Lord. So can you imagine this? Someday in heaven, all eyes will be on Jesus Christ. He will receive all praise and honor. Then, symbolically, as it were, He will take His crowns and He will place them on the heads of every Christian who has suffered for Him. And all of a sudden, the eyes of all of heaven will give honor to every single believer. Let me ask you, is that something worth living for? Is that worth living for? The one who is deserving of all honor and all praise, all the eyes of heaven are upon Him. And then He comes symbolically, as it were, He takes that crown and places it on our heads, and all eyes turn towards us as every man, every woman who has ever suffered for Jesus receives their praise from God. That is worth living for. Brothers and sisters, this is where we're headed. We're headed to joy, we're headed to royalty, we're headed to victory, we're headed to honor. No one who serves Jesus and who suffers for Him will ever, ever lose their reward. Now James rounds out his teaching with the last reward. Reward of trials, he says, is being true to the Lord of life. Did you notice? All of this God has promised to those who love Him. Do you know all Christians love the Lord? The definition of a Christian is to love the Lord. We love, says the Bible, because... He first loved us. In 1 John 4.16, John says, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All Christians love the Lord. And love has a two-sided impact. Our accepting of trials and enduring them and learning through them reveals our love for the Lord. But then the flip side is, our love for the Lord motivates us to accept and endure those trials. So love is always a two-sided coin when it comes to trials. It shows our love for the Lord. And then it motivates us to accept and endure the trials. Now, why is this important? Because trials is not a matter of bearing down and gritting it. It's not a matter of saying, Okay, Lord, you're in charge, you're sovereign, you have assigned this to me. I guess I will bear down and grit my teeth until it is over. No. It's about love. It's about love. Some of you like sugar in your tea. You know why? Sweetens the bitterness. And that's what love does. Without love, trials are bitter. We, we grit our teeth. We endure them. But because of love for Jesus, the bitterness is removed. And we say, Lord, this is for you. Lord, this is for you. I don't know about you, but my trials, when I finally come to grips with them, cause me to love Jesus more, not less. And it's in that love for him that the bitterness is removed. As I put all this together, I've recognized that James gives to us a wonderful diagram of the reward for trials. And maybe you're one of those learners who an image or a picture helps you to see the truth in an easier way. And so, if we could put this diagram together of what the Lord is teaching, what we would see is this is the reward of the trials of life for Christians that trials cause us to be tested. In that tested, we become toughened, we become strong and pure as we submit to God's will. We do that because we know someday we will be triumphant as our Lord honors us with the fullness of eternal life. And all of it is motivated out of of a desire To be true to the Savior whom we love so much. And this is the amazing reward for trials. By the way, does anybody look at this this morning and say, Isn't this the life we want? Isn't this what life is really all about? Don't we want someday to offer this kind of life up to our Lord? Then says the Bible, let trials have their perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Because we will by no means lose the reward. That God has for us. Let's thank Him together, shall we? Would you bow?